0: Welcome to Good People, Cool Things, the podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. I'm your host, Joey Held, and today's guest is Emmy-nominated writer and producer Billy Van Zant, who is the author of Get in the Car, Jane, Adventures in the TV Wasteland, and writer of more than 25 plays alongside his partner, Jane Millmore. And we're talking about all different types of of entertainment here. We're going through Billy's playwriting career, his time in Hollywood. He's got stories about Lucille Ball, Martin Lawrence, Don Rickles, Dorothy Lamour, and just so much more. Working on Newhart, the worst show he's ever worked on. If you're not rolling with laughter throughout this episode, I don't know what to tell you cuz Billy is very funny and he's got so many great stories. And of course, recommend checking out Get in the Car, Jane Adventures in the TV Wasteland for so many fantastic stories. It's part behind-the-scenes gossip, part textbook, all truth. And it is such an entertaining read. Definitely check it out. And while you're at it, why not check out the Good People Cool Things merch shop? There's lots of comfy items for you, from hoodies to hats and everything in between, so you can look stylish while you're getting your laughter on reading a very entertaining book. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Billy. Let's say someone hasn't heard of Billy Van Zandt. What is your elevator pitch for them? And what kind of elevator are we on while you're giving this pitch?
1: <laughs> well, my, my elevator pitch of me is, uh, I'm a very, I'm a hardworking, uh, hardworking guy from New Jersey. That's pretty much <laughs> what it is. <laughs> and at the, ele- at the moment, the elevator's going down, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, I've, I've been I've been to the top, so it's okay.
0: <laughs> I think you're the first person to be. We're going down on the elevator. so <laughs> Way to mix it up there.
1: Well, I plan on going back up too. But uh, right now the world shut down, so I don't have much of a choice.
0: That yeah, that is a a very good point. Um, <laughs> that I I can imagine the Hollywood world. I mean, yeah, like what what's been going on for the last year? What have you been up to?
1: Well, I've been, uh, I've been doing a lot of podcasts, uh, talking about my book and I've been, uh, having, uh, lunch across the pool with my kids. Cause I, we don't get too close and <laughs> I go for a lot of hikes with my dogs and, uh, and, uh, Teresa and I uh, cook a lot and, and we binge watch a lot of TV like everybody else. So that's been, that's life in life in Hollywood this year. But, uh. The re- the restaurants just closed up again. There were a couple restaurants. Uh, you know, you can. It's easy to do it out here because the weather's so nice and you're far away from each other. But they even closed those up uh, right before Thanksgiving. So um, it's been interesting. I've done a lot of reorganizing of my office and done a lot of scanning of old files and that kind of stuff. Um, so that part was that part was uh, productive. I gotta say.
0: <laughs> do you have any office reorganization tips because i yeah. i know personally mine is a mess so i'd love any tips number
1: one you scan everything and then throw it all out <laughs> that's one number two the only thing that matters are photographs everything else is garbage and <laughs> so scan those photographs i uh for the longest time i i uh, all, i have family photos uh that are scanned that on on the uh, discs back in new jersey and copies of them out here so if anything happens on either coast we're covered and um other than that uh the stuff that you think is so priceless your kids are going to throw out anyway so you might as well get rid <laughs> of it now
0: <laughs> exactly cut out the middle man. exactly <laughs> now you you mentioned that you've been talking about your book get in the car jane yeah what was the, the impetus behind writing that? I know, obviously, you've got lots of great stories, but why, why now for this book?
1: It started with my, with my sons, who had no concept. One day, they asked me what it was I actually did when I produced a TV show, because they, they weren't part of that process. where They knew my plays, because they would come to the theater, and they'd sit through rehearsals, and they'd see that whole process. But when it came to the TV shows, they didn't quite get all the things that went into it. So I started writing it for them. And then luckily for me, I had kept journals on all the TV shows that I either wrote or produced or created. And uh, I had those to reference. So every chapter in the book is a different TV show that we worked on, Bob Newhart, uh, Martin Lawrence, the Wayans Brothers, Don Rickles, a whole bunch of things. and. Um, and luckily, thanks to those journals, I, I, it all came back to me and I had some, you know, they're, they're filled with funny stories, basically, of you know, things I would tell at dinner parties to get a laugh, you know. And so it's part gossipy and also throughout the course of the book, a little bit at a time, you learn what an executive producer of a sitcom does. And, uh, you know, I don't hit people over the head with it, but you get a taste of all the obstacles you have to jump through to get a show on the air, the people you have to deal with. The egos you have to deal with, and how a how a work schedule works. Um, and uh, I've I've talked to a lot of students, uh, uh, college students, uh, any aspiring writers, and they've all found it pretty helpful. But it wasn't my intention to make it that. It was really just to tell a bunch of funny stories.
0: <laughs> well, definitely succeeded on on both fronts, I think. And is this a common thing for people to do to to keep journals while they're working on a show, or is that just something you always? Just had an interest in
1: I never I don't know why I started it. I, <laughs> I never kept a journal growing up. I never kept a journal other than the TV shows. and I think I started it because it was such a brand new thing to me and it was happening so fast. I wanted to write down stuff that happened during the week. So on the weekend, if I talked to anybody back home, I'd have I could reference something you know and um, and then I just it just I just started doing it after every show anytime we'd have a, uh, you know, you have a fight with somebody at the network, I'd, I'd start writing again, you know, <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, and anything that I, I couldn't remember, uh, uh, my writing partner, Jane Millmore, she, she remembered everything, you know, like a steel trap, so she helped me along uh, on this too, and uh, she just passed away in February, but I was, you um, she was, she was around when I finished the book and she helped me edit it and she picked the pictures for the book. So, you know, it ended up being a nice tribute to her, which I didn't intend it to be when we started. It was just a, a book about the TV shows. But uh, luckily I, 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 got to pay my respects to her in the book too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about working with a writing partner? Cause you and Jane were, do I have it right? 40, 46 years together,
1: 46 years mm. together. We met when I was negative 10 years old (laughs) and uh, we met in high school. She was at a, uh, we were both in high schools in New Jersey where I grew up and uh, we met at a uh, a drama competition at a local theater. She was doing a scene with her school. I was doing a scene from my school and that producer put us together in a, uh, a Neil Simon comedy Star Spangled Girl the following summer. And we toured that around for two years, and then we started dating immediately. And then we broke up, and we dated, and we broke up a ridiculous amount of times until <laughs> we both realized, you know what? Let's just not do this again. <laughs> so we stayed, uh, stayed friends, and um, and forty six years we worked together, um, all without missing one single day of work, despite the fact that we broke up and and you know all that stuff went on. Um, but working with a a partner has been fantastic. You have to have the right partner; otherwise, it's just two people fighting over who gets to type the last word. And with Jane and me, she she brought out the best in me. I brought out the best in her. Um, she is, she was funny off the top of her head. I have to work at it. You know, <laughs> I, I I structure everything and think things through, and then I come up with the you know the the right stuff anything off the top of Jane's head was usually the right thing that went into the script. And, um, and she watched my back a lot, because I don't enjoy, uh, I'm sure they're very nice people, but I don't enjoy dealing with the studios and the networks. I don't like it. Um, to me, it's like just you hired me to be the creative person, just leave me alone. And that's <laughs> sort of my attitude. And Jane would always uh, take those phone calls. you know, And uh, for the most part, if we had a, an ego on the set, she would be the one down there taking care of it while I would run the writer's room. So we, we you know, she did a little of this, I did a lot of that. Uh, she took care of the, the costumes and the makeup and the hair. I took care of the props and the set. And um, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a great team. And I would say the, the key to a, a good writing partner in, in comedy is to find somebody you think is funnier than you are and have them think the same thing of you and then keep trying to make them laugh. That's pretty much the gist of how it makes a good team.
0: <laughs> I like that. It's nice and simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we had fun. I mean, we had every, even the things that I complained about in the book, we ultimately had fun uh, in everything we've done. I don't, I don't feel like I've really worked a day in my life. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll take that back. There are a couple of <laughs> shows that felt like I worked a lot but for the most part, uh, between the theater uh, for all my plays and the uh, the TV shows, it's just been fun. I, I'm I'm proud of this and ashamed of this at the same time. I've never worked outside of show business. I've been very lucky in. I was either writing and running a children's theater company when I was in high school, um, or just or, or acting in in a couple of films, or also be directing somebody else's play. And I, so I always did like three things at once. So if one thing doesn't work out, you, know, you got the other two to go to, you know. So keeping busy, name of <laughs> the game.
0: Exactly. And do you have a favorite out of the three between TV, film, and and uh, Broadway or plays? Or are they all I they would, all have their perks?
1: I usually like the one I'm not doing at the time. That's <laughs> the one. But uh, the I, I'm 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 most at home on stage because we uh, we wrote. The plays for ourselves as actors, and and we would perform them, um, and then we would tour them around, do them in New York, all that stuff, and that's where I felt the most at home. And also, uh, you know, my my very healthy ego uh, would say that when you're in the theater, uh, nobody's telling you what to do. So, <laughs> so you know, you come out to tea you work on TV. First time I worked on a TV show, um, Sam Bobrick was my boss, and he uh, he was a playwright. Murder at the Howard Johnsons and a bunch of other shows. And he sat me down and he said, You're a playwright. And I said, Yeah. He said, Let me tell you how it works in uh, TV. In the theater, you are the top of the pyramid. Everybody works to please you. Welcome to television. You are a first draft and people are going to do whatever they want with your script. And the sooner you get over that, the better you'll be. And it took me two, three years to get past the fact that somebody wanted to change. You know, this literally happened on New heart our first uh, series. Uh, the executive producer took one of our scripts and somebody, one of the characters entered saying, you know, hi or something. And the executive producer changed it to hello. And I threw <laughs> it. It's like, why is that better than what I have? You know, but you learn that when you're on a writing staff, if, if you're not the boss, if you're on a writing staff, your job is to imitate the writing of that boss, of the creator of the show. That's your whole job. You may think you're funnier than they are. You may think they're doing a terrible job. You may think they're brilliant. It doesn't matter. You have to imitate their writing style, so every episode looks like it came from the same computer. And um, and then when you get your own show, you do things the way you want, and then you have a whole writing staff of people rolling their eyes at the things you're changing <laughs> in their scripts. You know, so it's just something you get used to. It was it was weird for me at first because everybody had different titles: supervising producer, co-producer, writing, you know, editor, story editor and it took me you know it took me a little while to realize oh that's just they're all writers they just have different names the only people on the show that the executive producer is the boss produced by is the guy in charge of the money and the crew and everybody else that you see with a producer title is a is a writer staff writer
0: outside of that initial sort of learning period of write like whoever's in charge did you find you were able to do that pretty quickly on the shows you worked on or were some kind of a steeper learning curve to to kind of hit that style
1: it was pretty easy at first only because we had just come from the theater and we i don't know how many plays we'd had at that point maybe 10 plays published then probably not that many but um but after writing a two-hour play, writing twenty-two minutes of a sitcom script was nothing for us. You know, we would—they—they they would give you two weeks to write a first draft. We would do it in two days and spend the rest of the time playing basketball outside <laughs> our office. And uh, and there were uh, there was uh, one particular show I go about this. I go through this pretty detailed in the in the book. Um, a show that I hated working on and with reason and I couldn't imitate the writing of the boss because the boss didn't know what she was doing at all and we had a big staff of people and one by one everybody would get fired every Saturday somebody new would be fired but they wouldn't replace these people it would just get a smaller and smaller and smaller writing staff till at the end it was Jane and me Bruce Ferber who ended up running Home Improvement and then the boss and uh, it was torture. And Jane and I quit that show. We walked out after nine episodes. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't like the way they treated actors. I didn't like the assembly line feel of working on the show. And it took me it took me a couple months after I left that show to remember why I liked writing. <laughs> you know. So, but you know, I, the flip side of that, you know, you work for Bob Newhart, and every day is a, it's like a party with your family. And uh, I, I loved everybody on that show. I would have done that show forever. Same with the Don Rickles, uh, Richard Lewis show we did. Jamie Lee Curtis. There were for uh, for the for the the bumps in the road, and there weren't that many. I'd say two or three tops um, for however long. Forty six years I've been doing this. Every other time has been fun. My attitude's always been life is too short. If I'm not going to have a good time, I don't want to do it.
0: I think that's a good attitude to have generally yeah. in most things in life. Yeah, and that's a yeah. a very solid success rate. Only having. <laughs> Two or three sort of major yeah. bumps along the way yeah the
1: and 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 i'll put up to be fair i'll put up with uh, difficult people if if what they're giving you is brilliance you know martin lawrence was so hard to work with but i'm glad i did it i thought i thought everything he did was pretty pretty great uh it was rough to go through it but the work that he did i thought was quite good um Elaine Stritch, Broadway, you know, legend, uh, she came to work with us on a show with Andrew Dice Clay, and Kathy Moriarty. And, you know, everybody said, you can't, she's a pain in the neck, you can't use her, you can't. Well, she was brilliant. So I was happy, I was happy to do that. And, uh, and yeah, and then if somebody, you know, if somebody rubs you the wrong way, you don't hire them again. It's real simple. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But I usually uh, we usually have a company of uh, people I've worked with probably for forty years, actors, um, when we do our plays, and uh, I write specifically for them. Um, whether they do the role or not, I like to hear the voice of of whoever I I hear in my head, you know, and um, and we just have so much fun. It's just fun, and doing the plays is is nothing more than nothing less than fun, all the time.
0: Have you ever written for someone who ends up with another role in the same production or has that never happened?
1: Um, huh? Let's see. No, either, either. Um, well, some of our, some of our shows are so old. I've seen productions of uh, somebody who played a younger role playing the older guy's <laughs> role. But, uh, like our first play was love sex in the IRS, which is a, a pretty broad farce. And, um, we wrote it in 1979. And um uh, now when I see productions of it, because it gets done in summer stock and regional theater all over the place, um, it's it's a period piece that they set in the 70s. And it's like well, it was, wasn't that when I did it, it was just a show. But um and one of the guys who played our our uh our our younger uh lead in that in the original production, he ended up playing the uh the janitor in, a, in another production of it when about 30 years later
0: i like that coming full circle yeah yeah now you kind of touched on this a little bit but i always like asking people about their worst gigs i uh, but since you you sort of dove into it a little bit how about what's like one of the worst shows you've uh, you've put on like a play
1: my plays are all good. It's the TV shows. So <laughs> <you're> not... <laughs> uh, the, uh, the worst TV show was a show called nurses. Um, it all, it all ran, it ran three years too, which just blew my mind. <laughs> um, and I, I just didn't care for the way it was run. Um, there was no respect for anybody on the lot that I could tell. Um, Case in point, and I tell the story this is the week before I quit the show because I couldn't take this kind of stuff anymore um it was a show that catered to an older audience so I suggested that you know why don't we bring in some old MGM movie stars to play the guest star spots because that's the audience too you know and they said oh that's great and I said uh I the script we just wrote has an older lady in it I just saw Dorothy L'amour in a play and doing a Stephen Sondheim play down in Long Beach. Why don't we bring her in to play the grandmother? And they said, Oh, that's a great idea. And they called her up and she said, I'd never auditioned for anything in my life, not even my Paramount contract. But if you really want me that bad, I'll be happy to come in and meet with you. And she came in out of retirement, big gold Rolls Royce pulls up. She steps out, she comes into the waiting room where there are 30 other women reading for the same role. Oh, wow. I went crazy, I went nuts. I said, you got other people coming in? And they said, yeah, if she wants to, you know, if she wants to work in this town, this Is the way it's done. So she came in to read, which was uh, embarrassing to make somebody like that read. And I was already, you know, I was already waiting to hear the good stories about working with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and all the road pictures and all this other stuff. So she comes in and she was nervous. You know, she had never read for anybody before. And um, she was very sweet. And as she walked out, the door wasn't even closed. And one of the bosses says, nah, we can do better. Bring the next one in. I said, you're not going to cast her? And he said, no. I said, well, what are you going to say to her? He said, I'm don't call. i not calling her. You don't call everybody who doesn't get a job. That summed up what I was working with. And I didn't like that at all. And uh, since then, but I learned a lesson there. Since then, I have never, and when I'm running my own show, I never bring in an established actor to audition. You know, there's a reason that they were big, are big, and I treat them with respect. And uh, I would never do that again. Never.
0: Yeah, I think the way you do it is reasonably. <laughs> Reasonable.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had fun. When I did the Don Rickle show, we, we brought, uh, you know, we brought in all the people. One of the perks of being the boss uh, when you're the creator of the show is i got to bring in all the people i grew up watching on tv you know so i brought in uh, Kay ballard from the mothers-in-law to do a role and she thanked me for bringing her back to television we brought in um Alvie moore who was hank kimball on green acres for another show and uh it was just it was crazy fun just w- watching these guys you know get back at it i brought in hunts hall from the bowery boys he, he pulled him out of retirement because i thought oh he'd be funny as the pretzel seller on the street corner you know <laughs> and um so it, it's great. It's one of the, the, the one of the only perks, really, you get of, of uh, when you're running your own show.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And your your last uh, production with Jane, or your last collaboration, is the Boomer Boys musical.
1: Yeah, that started. Um, the, the 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 guy wrote the music for it uh, Waylon Picard, uh, lives out in Vegas and we'd worked with him, uh, a while, a long while ago, he was a musical director for my, uh, my then wife, uh, Adrian Barbo's nightclub act. And I, I produce an album that he, he did for her. And he called us out of the blue and he said, I, I've got an idea for a show. Um, I want to do, uh, the changes that men go through when they hit a certain age, and we'll do it as a comedy review. It'll be hilariously funny. What do you think? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't really do stuff that other people suggest. And, and Jane said, we're, we're going to do it. I said, why are we going to do it? She said, I'd rather write about it than hear you complain about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We wrote. Uh, it's it's a, such a fun show. It's four guys. So it's like, sort of like the Rat Pack. Uh, four guys, four friends uh, talking and singing about the changes that men go through when they hit a certain age. And the the response has been fantastic. We toured it for the country. We toured the country for probably two and a half years before the pandemic hit. So we're we're waiting, uh, we're waiting for vaccines so we can get back out on the road again. And uh, and and I'll enjoy going back out on the road with that. First of all, it's a fun show. Um, two of the two of the four guys that I do it with, I've been friends with forever. One actually from my kindergarten class. Wow. Believe it or not. And, um, and it's also the last thing that Jane and I, uh, did together. So it's almost a continuation of where we were. So it's, I don't, you know, it's been a very weird, surreal year of mourning her death and not being able to have a funeral and just the whole thing's weird, but, uh, it'll feel like, you know, we're still back in it once, once we get back on the road again.
0: Have you seen any kind of, you mentioned how you've been kind of binging on Netflix, but as far as. Like the live theater experience, that's a little more hard to recreate virtually. But have you seen any good examples or, or people doing things where, you're like, huh, that's kind of cool?
1: I saw, I've seen a couple of very good Zoom uh, readings, I guess you call them. Um, but they really have to be directed. It's not just a matter of everybody talks when your line comes. They need to be directed. You need to see, you know, one guy handing handing a prop off camera, and then the guy in the, in the other box, p- picking up the same prop, and it sort of all flows together. It's kind of fun. Um, uh, I saw a good Tim Pinckney play. I can't remember the title. Um, a couple of our shows have been done uh, on Zoom. Uh, You've Got Hate Mail, which really was set up for, who knew, was set up for a Zoom call because it's five people, uh, it's the story of one of Jane's divorces told through emails. So you have on stage when you do it live, there are five actors at five desks with iPads and and laptops and you're reading and emailing each other. And uh, so that fit perfectly into a Zoom call. Um, I've seen a couple of different productions of that. That was kind of fun. Um, But I've also enjoyed the, um, I don't even know what it is. Maybe it's broadway.com or one of those things um seeing a lot of london plays that they record and they you get to see plays that you never got to see so i'm enjoying that um and uh i I just i I hope we get back to i hope we get back to live theater soon because i'm so itchy to get back on stage
0: (laughs) i hope so too it is it is just like uh, there have been some great efforts uh virtually and some you know some great productions but yeah, there's just nothing like it. It's it's so good. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I don't know what they're going to do in terms of. Um, when I saw uh, there was a sixty minutes uh, episode on right when the pandemic hit, and it had been recorded, you know, months prior. So this is before anybody knew any of this, and it took place in Japan, and it showed people going to the theater, and every single person in the audience had a mask on. And little did we know that's you know hello, that's where we that's where we're <laughs> gonna be. Uh, but it was just normal for them, so that's what they do. So I thought, well, okay, we got a shot at this. Um, and um, yeah, the what well, what a, what a lot of theaters are starting to do, and I don't think it's gonna work, frankly, is they're taking out like every other seat in their theater. And um, I like the idea of trying to get open again, but I really don't know how a theater survives on 50% of the capacity, yeah. you know? Um, most theaters, 100% capacity plus sponsors to keep to stay open, you know? so um, But, you know, we'll get there, we'll get there. It may take longer than I want, but we'll get back there.
0: Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, I, I never can count out the creativity of people to, to get the the content out there yeah even if it is a little while before we're we're back in theaters there's there's always ways yeah and
1: i'm enjoying the uh like uh uh what's the name of the thing below studio 54 what's that thing called um but all the nightclub performers they can do virtual um concerts those are kind of those are fun to watch just them and a piano player but who cares
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember seeing at the start of the pandemic, Erica Badu doing bedroom concerts and kind of did like a choose your own adventure where I, whoever was watching would vote between like, Oh, where should I go next? Like this room and play this song or this room and play this song. And I was like, that's pretty cool.
1: (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. 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 And I, and uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't know if you know who Mary Neely is, uh, but she, she got us through the early part of the pandemic. She's, an actress who simply filmed herself lip syncing to every Broadway musical <laughs> with with her own playing all the roles, directing it herself. It was just her. And they're they're brilliantly funny because she's so earnest in what she's doing. And you know she's got a crappy wig on to play this role and a cloth on her head to play a nun in the sound of music. But they're funny as hell, and uh, she, you know, that, there's creativity right there. And it, it, I'm sure, I'm sure they've got deals going left and right <laughs> for her now. And Sarah Cooper, who did all the imitations of uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, people, people will make do when they have to.
0: Yeah, and getting great mileage out of those old wigs too.
1: Yeah, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, sir. I'm glad you mentioned Sarah Cooper. She's, I, I just like m- applaud like I, I can't even tell at this point what's what's real and what's a parody so it's that's true, really that's it. yeah. true. <laughs> we've been talking about lots of different memories and, and moments that you've had but at the end of the episode i always like to wrap up with the top three and i think your top three hollywood moments would just be fantastic to hear about we can talk about the good ones since we've covered the
1: bad ones <laughs> <laughs> good i hope so top three Hollywood moments uh, was be uh, getting to uh, meet and work with Lucille Ball was number one. Um, She's the reason I went into show business. I wanted to do the kind of comedy that she did. I learned from her, I learned timing, I learned how to structure a script from her writers. Um, And quite simply, that show made me laugh more than anything else as a kid watching that. Um, but I finally got to work with her that was absolutely number one and she turned out to be everything I wanted her to be she was just, just fantastic there was a master class watching her work and, uh, and and we got to be friendly for a couple of weeks um, so that was that was number one for me uh, number two was working with Don Rickles um, just the sweetest guy in the world um, We we unfortunately for for us, we, we debuted the show. It was Don's last sitcom called Daddy Dearest with Richard Lewis. And um, we premiered at the height of the beginning of political correctness. And Don's whole career is about being politically incorrect. So we had a lot of fights with the uh, networks, and, and the, the critics hated us. The audiences liked us. But regardless, it was just the most fun I ever had on a show. Uh, Every day was just a a party, and uh, I loved everybody working on it. I we kept, I I would say we kept that entire crew through a couple of different shows. Just I liked everybody on the crew. Um, Got to work with Renee Taylor, who uh, one of the first professional productions I did as an actor was in one of her plays. So we uh, we hired her to play Don's wife. And that's the show where I pulled in Hunts Hall and Kay Ballard and all these other people that I grew up with. And um, I would I wish that show had run forever and we should have, I think. But uh, and third, what would be my third thing? Um might be my off Broadway show Silent Laughter. That was a silent, this was one of those things where every time we'd go to write a new play, it was like, okay, what haven't we done? Let's try this, let's try this. And if it scared me enough, it usually was the right choice that, you know, let's try this. We never wrote a musical before, who cares? Let's try it. And so this silent laughter was a silent movie, silent slapstick movie done live on stage with a big Wurlitzer organ playing along with the actors. There was no dialogue. It was in, in uh, on title cards above our heads. And the whole show was in shades of black, gray, and white. It was fascinating to do it. I was scared to death until on opening night. I was like, "Is anybody going to laugh at this thing?" And uh, we got great reviews in the New York Times. And it was just—it was a, such a joy to do that. That was fun.
0: That sounds simultaneously a blast to do, but yeah, like you were saying, also terrifying.
1: <laughs> well, especially because the night before we had an audience. I had you know a couple of friends sit in the audience. And this one woman who I'd worked with for 30 years at that point, I guess, pulled me aside and went, I don't know about this one, Billy. <laughs> I was like, oh God, okay. But we did it and we got our laughs. So it was good. Cl- oh, and I would also say Drop Dead. The uh, That was the first off-Broadway show I produced and that we wrote. Um, and then I did it out here. We did that forever. We did that uh, in New York. And then we did it out here in LA and uh, We we had four of the cast members from New York and then we had again me me kid in the candy store. I had Rose Marie from the Dick Van Dyke show, Donnie Mose from Happy Days, um uh who else was in that with us? Barney Martin from Seinfeld. Um and we just oh and and and, (laughs) forgetting and a woman who became my wife, Adrienne Barbeau. And um that one was so much fun, so much fun. And thank God that was at the same time I was doing that terrible show Nurses. Um so I would do the TV show during the day and then do the play at night. And uh thank God for that or I would have blown my brains out working on that TV show.
0: <laughs> yeah, good to keep your sanity a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Now obviously with the pandemic, we don't we don't know what's what's coming up, but I assume you're not totally just binge watching Netflix and and eating across the pool. Do you have some ideas that are kind of percolating a little bit for 2021, 2022, whenever we're back out there? The weird
1: thing, when Jane got sick, and and she got sick out of the blue, she had no symptoms. She just turned yellow overnight, and the next day found out she had pancreatic cancer, which blew our minds. Um, But we thought it was a misdiagnosis because she was the healthiest thing you ever saw. And... So for the fifteen months, and it was fifteen months that she fought that thing. Um, we kept thinking it's it's mis misdiagnosed. It's you know don't they'll, uh, they'll find something else. They'll try a different pill. They'll try, and we worked two three days a week the entire time because she insisted she wanted to work. And uh, so we have a bunch of half written projects sitting on shelves <laughs> right now that I'm gonna I plan on finishing all of them and. Um, couple, a uh, couple screenplays and a uh, couple of books I want to finish too. So yeah, I don't believe in sitting around doing nothing at all. My uh, I have we got a, a great work ethic from my father, we we, I think we, we listened a little too closely <laughs> because we don't, we don't know how to turn it off. In our family, we just do stuff. We do a lot of stuff. Um, but um but I also to me this is fun. I don't feel like I'm working. I don't feel like I'm working when I'm working, you know. So I, I, I'm one of those people that wakes up and goes straight to the computer and starts writing stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that's more fun than just sitting around doing yeah. nothing
1: for sure. Yeah.
0: Good deal. Well, Billy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. If people want to learn more about all the stuff you've done, if they want to check out the book, where can they find you?
1: get in the car jane adventures in the tv wasteland available on amazon it's available at barnes and noble and if you go to my website vanzantmillmore.com um you can learn all about all the upcoming shows when we have them all the tv shows we've done all the films all the all the plays and um i think they're actually selling hardcover they are selling hardcover copies of the book on there too um and as for uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm, I'm on there and I have no idea what my handles are so <laughs> so just look me up you'll figure it out there's only, there's only one of me out there <laughs>
0: so. We'll do some we'll do some Google and we can uh, add right. it in the show notes for you
1: Thank you great <laughs>
0: I know I'm the same way with uh, my passwords for a lot of them I'm just like if I ever get the uh, automatic log out I'll be I'll be screwed for sure.
1: I actually am ashamed to do this. I have a five page list of my passwords that I keep I keep one with my laptop, I keep one with my in my desk. So it's like and then it's my phone too. Thank God I memorized those things.
0: <laughs> you but, You're ashamed yeah. by that. I think that's brilliant. I should just start doing that.
1: Well, it's fine until somebody robs your house and finds your password. That's true. And, that's true. You know.
0: <laughs> Got to invest in the uh, what is it? The one password or like LastPass or yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. put some of my DNA yeah. in there, and then that's a little harder mm-hmm. to harder to rom. That's true, right? Right. <laughs> Maybe for 2021, that can be the project. Let's get my pass- password life in order and scan. Remember to scan all your stuff. Exactly, exactly, and throw away all the <laughs> all the junk throw except away the Everything except yeah. the
1: photos. Just <laughs> keep the photos. That's it. That's all that matters. Ah,
0: oh, wonderful, well, Billy. Thank you so much. This was fantastic i had a great time and highly recommend your book to everyone listening
1: thank you this was a lot of fun enjoyed it
0: absolutely and of course we, we got to end with a corny joke and okay this this will probably make you groan more than laugh but we'll see i right. what's even better than ted dancing
1: <laughs> i don't know what's better than ted dancing
0: ted singing and dancing
1: <laughs> I it today? Uh, <laughs> all right all right <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't be stealing that for one of my shows but, but that's good that's great thank you
0: thank you for listening to good people cool things always appreciate you checking out the show if you're a fan and you're listening on apple podcasts i'd appreciate a five-star review or rating just head on over to your apple podcast app tap those five stars and leave a few kind words if you want if not the rating is totally fine and if you're listening on spotify love a subscription as well subscribe and then you'll be notified anytime a new episode comes to your devices thank you again for listening and have a fantastic day
1: If you're hearing this song on your phone, in your car, or now seven of the grocery store, you're not really hearing it. You're not really hearing the hypnotic disco synth as clearly as you could. You're not really feeling the bassline in your chest, and you're certainly not hearing a century of sound innovation. The only way to hear this song the way the artist intended is to hear it on a Denon Home speaker. A speaker built with as much craft, dedication, and precision as the music it plays. Which means you won't just hear the song, you'll feel it. Denon Home wireless speakers, crafted by The Sound Obsessed for The Sound Obsessed.